0: Thank you for joining the ESBC betting and financial network where we treat everything like a business meeting right so every business meeting has to have a purpose and an outcome so the purpose of this uh, podcast is to make me money we're not like uh, sports stars that say oh I went to team X because I want to be in alignment with the universe I want to help the kids and i'll be closer to my family no you're there because of the money right so that's why i'm here and that's why i bring people that are smarter than myself like Raider jim martinez to give me strategies as he's made me a lot of money the last four years with the raiders knowledge and now with horse racing knowledge now what has been the outcome 52.5 percent is break even we were 63.5%, giving you all the overs, all the side uh, bets, right? If we went five, if we picked five for the Super Contest, which i like to join this year, uh, we i have been in the 70 and 80%. We would have won the whole thing. But even picking all the games, 63.5%, we would finish in fourth place, with $120,000. So that's, that's the outcome. And then we finished college basketball pre-pandemic 46-5 and or something like that uh, in the high 80 percentile. So you make that margin between 52.5% and 80%. We made that margin, and I'll never forget our pre-pandemic pick. Remember Craig Mizrach writing on uh, Twitter, this might be the last pick ever. Washington State plus 13 in the Pac-12 tournament. And we got that right. And uh, so we're very lucky, fortunate, and good that we're able to do that and share it with you. Like Reader Jim says, we don't want your email address. We make money off the games. And in a pandemic, we're happy to share with you actionable, specific information you can monetize. However, we do not just give fish. We teach people how to fish. And we're very lucky to have horse racing expert, and he's an expert because he's paid major bills with horse racing money, as he told me when he had a young family. Uh, Raider Jim, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Absolutely. As always, it's my pleasure, Josh. I hope you're having a good week. Everybody out there, all the listeners, hope everybody is staying as safe and sane and healthy as possible. Before we get too far into talking about horse racing, for anybody who did not get a chance, to hear last week's podcast from July 2nd. I would strongly recommend and encourage you to go find us on iHeart or one of the other platforms because we had quite a great podcast on last Thursday with a special guest in the house, one of the most renowned talk show radio hosts in Southern California and the nation, Tim Conway Jr. from the Tim Conway Jr. Show on AM640 am 640 He's on Monday through Friday from 6 p.m. until 10 p.m., a wealth of entertainment and horse racing, sports gaming knowledge, such an honor to have him. And so I would like to once again, on behalf of myself, Josh, and the ESBC team, say thank you, Tim, for joining us, granting us a very valuable time and the great stories you told, as you would say, and you would want to hear, ding-dong to you, my man. Ding-dong to you. That is a catchphrase from Tim Conway, Jr. And he will be back on again. Uh, we're going to get some picks from Tim throughout the season, especially hopefully as we get into the Breeders' Cup come fall. Again, thanks very much, Tim Conway, Jr. Go check out that podcast from July the 2nd.
0: Josh, big time. No, where big do we time. go from and, here? And, you know, And along those lines I wanted to share with the folks, Man, you can go on our Twitter page and you can listen to that story. That we're getting great feedback uh, about how Tim learned math at the horse trip at the horse track, and the story about his teacher. Because uh, we're losing in America a lot of uh, culture, you know, that I was privileged as a kid to to learn and adapt in I mean, a city like Irvine, you know, cities in Michigan and I know download the podcast. Got to make sure you listen to that to get the culture, right, in in the humanity that we had as uh, middle class, poor people. And the other thing, Raider Jim, I wanted to add, I would not be as literate as I am if it wasn't for Sports Illustrated as a kid. Right? (laughs) A lot of us learned a lot of skills we used in life through sports. And if you want to learn math, and in the last podcast we had with Greg Wolf, Talking about technical analysis and behavioral economics and probability theory, man, you could definitely learn that at the horse track. And here with Raider Jim, I'm taking the opportunity. You never stop learning in life because life never stops teaching. (laughs) You gotta keep learning. So as Raider Jim goes through the series, I'm gonna adapt it to math and probability theory and behavioral economics. Why not Raider Jim?
1: Absolutely and as josh led off the podcast and let it reminded everybody where do we come from how did we get started josh myself three other gentlemen who were involved our brothers for the esbc team and we did our weekly podcast on the nfl a lot of great success because we all listened to one another we may not agree with one another week in and week out but we listen to one another and our picks were not based on two or three games each week. They were based on every game, every week of the NFL season, and it was a consensus pick. So we didn't line everybody up at the end of the week and say, Jim had this many out of this many. Josh had six out of 10. No, it was a consensus pick, and that's where we had our mid-60 percentile success rate. From there, we bankrolled that into the NCAA season, and along with Brandon first, Josh and I, We were having quite a run during the NCAA men's basketball season. We were poised for the conference tournament, poised to make a big run during the brackets. And I will always remember, I was sending text messages to Josh. It seemed like every night, I felt like a stock market ticker. Josh, they just canceled this tournament. Josh, they just pulled the plug on this. Josh, they just said that the NBA is going down and slowly but surely, we watched our all of the work, the investment we had put into it, crumble and just go to ash. And that was supposed to lead into, from the NCAA, we were gonna keep riding the way. Josh was all set for the NBA playoffs and the balance of that season. Brandon was all set with his MLB vast knowledge and breaking down every team's strengths, weaknesses, and what to look for during the upcoming season. And I was very humbled. Josh said, how about as we get towards derby time, you can start talking horse racing. And then COVID-19 came along and changed the course of history for the entire world. And that leads us to today. Is that correct, Josh?
0: That's 100% uh, correct. But out of the ashes rises the phoenix. Part of that phoenix was uh, my wife literally like a month ago. Comes in and she's like, "I want to buy this expensive purse. Uh, give me the Bitcoin card. I'm going to use the betting." And that's what it that reminded me of that run. I'm like, man, part of that run, and in my mind, right, sentimental part of it. I was like, that purse is going to be bought with that 46 and five run. We <laughs> Even though the you know we're lucky, fortunate, and good, there's a lot of money in there. Uh, in my mind, she used the one for the, the ashes you're talking about of our, uh, our ridiculous run with uh, college basketball. And I remember, uh, I know that, that the, the genesis, that I loved it, because we invited a lot of people to be on the podcast. But I was happy Raider Jim was on there because uh, he gave great information, actionable information that I monetized on Raider games. And then when we started the podcast, Raider Jim had an uncanny ability to pick underdogs. (laughs) And suddenly, uh, one of our conversations, he relayed to me uh, his success he had at the track. And I'm like, oh, that's why (laughs) Raider Jim is so good at picking dogs (laughs) in the NFL because he's picked many, many of dogs at
1: the horse track absolutely that's that's it that, that's part of the part of the message behind the math. exactly
0: you're obviously very very good at math but something we want to tackle that i know the audience wants to know and something i, I want to know the first thing i asked uh our 2016 coach of the year brandon Lupin, very intense takes his job very seriously that helps us learn how teams are put together because when you pick a stock part of fundamental analysis some people want to say, oh, fundamental analysis is dead. It's never, it's one of those things that will get gravely ill, but it'll never die, right? Because humans are human. And part of fundamental analysis, when picking a security or picking an investment, because any investment, you go through the same process, with decision science, used by uh, the major firms now, That are creating vaccines, right? All the major pharmaceutical companies, all the major health insurance companies use decision science, their executives come up with the decision, because it's based on science and data. And when you tie it together, all right, what people want to know is how COVID-19 Uh, is being addressed because Coach Lupien uh, gave me the protocol for the USTA tennis for how tennis is going to come back, right? Where everybody's wearing gloves, uh, tennis players are not allowed to touch the ball with their hands during uh, timeouts because most of them came from soccer world anyways. So they they are to kick the ball back either to the uh, line judge or to the other opponent. They're not to touch it with uh, their hands. So what insight Brandon Lupien gives us as a coach is into the management system. So fundamental analysis says, you gotta understand the corporate governance in order to make a scientific objective decision about a stock. This science-based, evidence-based, peer-reviewed, decision so him being a coach not just a coach coach of the year he gives us insight into the governance system and the management of sports teams and teams that manage tennis players to that end uh raider jim you've been around the racing game pretty much your whole life uh give us a rundown of the governance right in horse racing and how your breakdown is, and you gave me a great one before the show of how they are going to manage uh, COVID-19 with, a, I guess, a thousand people at the track every day. And right. your overall, uh, you know, we'll, we'll go macro to micro, your overall thoughts on it. And then specifically uh, what exactly is the status in Del Mar as we'll be covering I got my San Diego Padres hat on because we're going to be covering Del Mar uh, 100%. So what are your thoughts from a, you know, a macro to micro perspective on COVID-19 in Del Mar?
1: Sure. And, of course, we're going to – one of the reasons I wanted to do this was not only to talk about the Triple Crown, the Kentucky Derby, the big races out there, San Diego native, the Del Mar Thoroughbred Club, the Del Mar Racetrack, that's my home track. As far as the, pl- the first place I ever went to go see the races, the place wow. I will still go and catch the occasional races, or even I could be in Vegas. I could be at one of the local casinos. I will always stop, play a couple races from the Del Mar track. It's just, it's one of the most beautiful race tracks. Even Tim Conway said it last week, Tim Conway Jr. He just had nothing but great things to say about Del Mar. And it is probably one of the top 10 tracks in the nation. With that said, In the state of California, the one thing that the Del Mar Thoroughbred Club is up against is it's not just about the racing season. That's the big picture, but you have to understand that especially with COVID involved, the state is very involved and regulates a lot of what happens. That's expected, but because by nature of the beast and the beast being the horse race game, There are groups out there, there are factions out there, there are the animal activist groups out there who all represent very good things. And I'm not here to talk against any group or make anything political, but Del Mar is aware of that, the thoroughbred club. So they don't need any one more thing to have a group come at them and say, and this is exactly why we should be canceling horse racing. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Santa Anita and Los Alamos, Los Alamitos, uh, up in the Orange County, LA area. They have been under very, very heavy scrutiny over the last year, 12 months, 18 months for the number of deaths recorded. And even Del Mar was under very, very close scrutiny last year because they had their share of deaths. Even at Santa Anita this past season, this past winter season, on June 21st, final day of, of the session, Four-year-old Colt, Strictly Biz, just as it crosses the finish line, fractures a knee, gets put down, 15th fatality at the Santa Anita track for the winter season. Now, that's a lot of horses uh, to to lose, but it is magnified because they had a reduced program because of COVID. So they did not have as many races as they would have on a regular schedule, What what does that mean? In essence, there was one horse per week they lost during the time that they were able to hold races. Now, if they start having cases reported of COVID, horses going down, you're gonna have a lot of political activist groups coming in saying, there's gotta be a tighter rein on these guys, no pun intended, somebody has to do something and we have to stop it. That's just on that aspect. What did Del Mar Thoroughbred Club do to combat this? Or to take, hey, they were actually proactive versus reactive. Before the session ever gets started, they put in a quarter of a million dollars, $250,000 to set up a tent outside the back barn area. Every track worker that goes in and out every day, they're gonna answer the same health protocol questions. How are you feeling? Have you been around anybody? all those questions that we're all getting asked these days. They're gonna get their temperatures taken. After they pass that, they are gonna be given a color-coded wristband for the day. Each day, it's a different color-coded band, so they can't just have guys sliding by. Somebody's wristband is gonna get noticed. They're gonna be asked to leave or at least go through the protocol again. They have got no fans in the stands. They're gonna have the races, no fans in the stands, but on an hourly basis, there are going to be bilingual announcements, English and Spanish, reminding all track personnel of what the protocol is to remain safe during COVID-19. They have got 125 signs that they've posted in the back areas. They also have a bilingual text alert system where they can send out updates, reminders to let everybody, again, remind everybody of the protocols and Hopefully they don't get the text that says we've just been told we have to shut down, but all that is in place. I think Del Mar Thoroughbred Club is to be commended for everything that they have done in order to keep all track personnel, the horses and the riders, the trainers, everybody is safe. You have to remember, you got to think of the track personnel. There's 700 guys that work religiously at the Santa Anita track. When that session is done, about half of them follow it down to Del Mar. When you see the county fair roll into Del Mar, to Pomona, to Orange County, to anywhere along California or any other state, that's a big traveling group of people. The carnies that are taking the rides, all the vendors for the booths, it's one big happy traveling family. That's exactly how the race game is, too, and even a little more intimate. You get a lot of these guys that are doing shared quarters by virtue of what their role is. They're there with the horses day in, day out, night in, night out. The jockeys get to leave and come back, but not all personnel get to. So the, the risk level is definitely there, but I think, again, Delmar has done a commendable job at making sure they have solid, sound protocols. Josh, what's your opinion?
0: I, uh, well, I'm stuck on, uh, with Mario, not Mario, <laughs> that's Roger Holden, with his son said, who's, his son is 60 years old, Andrew Cuomo, uh, you can have your own opinion, but you cannot have your own facts, and uh, the facts would say that a thousand out of a thousand people working at the track, two will die. And then 200 will get sick. Uh, I do commend uh, Del Mar for having those protocols. Uh, the one thing I am going to research is: do they have a deal with scripts, right? Because that's the first thing that came to my mind. Because I asked, we were on a call with uh, University of South Florida president. Uh, the AD, and the head coach. Jeff Scott was the offensive coordinator at Clemson with Double Sweeney. He recruited Deshaun Watson, um, the Andre Hopkins, Hunter Renfro, which you loved with the Raiders. He recruited him. He's said, Hunter Renfro was a zero star. He worked hard. He trained. And five stars were with me here on the sideline. Hunter Renfro was on the field. And when I asked him about COVID-19, he immediately talked about the hospitals at USF. There's like four hospitals within uh, a 20-mile radius of the campus. But there's two hospitals on campus that are going to test the players uh, once on Monday and then again on Thursday. So I think that Uh, And you you can give me more insight, but am I correct to assume, and I don't want to be like the press secretary for Trump where people ask you a question, (laughs) you ask a question right back, but I'm thinking that since uh, horse racing is a kind of a a niche, close-knit group to begin with, uh, this is the part of group think that's good, that since they love the horses so much, they want to be healthy to be around the horses. So since it will be like an insular bubble, a lot of these people are gonna follow the social distancing rules, are gonna wear a mask, and, or keep things pretty disciplined. So it should be a pretty disciplined, let's say 700 people that actually live at the track, which in this case will be very advantageous. And then uh, the 300 people that come in, which are gonna be the problem, are going to be uh and and, and you know because you've been around these people for years when you go to the track you see them are they are is it going to be like that is it going to be insular and are they going to be part of like a community that's going to try to keep uh the social distancing the mask wearing the other protocols uh in a disciplined way so uh the races and the show
1: can go on now one of the One of the Thoroughbred Club officials was asked that just earlier this week. Well, earlier this week, it's Tuesday, so it must have been yesterday, because they are getting ready for opening day on Friday. And along with outlining what all the protocols are, he did report how pleased he was because he went to check out the track to see how everything was going with these new safety measures in place. And he said, all the walkers, all the trainers, if they were within the six feet or in that vicinity, everybody had their masks on. He said he did see occasions where there was an individual who was working independently, and those individuals, even though they may not have had the mask pulled up over their nose and mouth, they did have the mask on, draped around their ears, and pulled down to their neck level, but maybe they were up against a horse or depending on what they were doing, but again, they were working independently
0: okay
1: i know when i go out for a a run and people can say well you shouldn't be doing that either but if i go out for a run uh, i have a mask with me but i may not have it on my face if i don't see somebody coming towards me
0: Same here. so
1: i i think the del mar people uh, i think those who are working at del mar just by virtue of understanding that they are going to be scrutinized a little more closely and it could affect the entire game you know it's that thing If we screw up, it's not just about screwing up and us getting uh, possibly, you know, losing our livelihood. We could be the reason that the entire season gets shut down and nobody wants that attached to their name.
0: Right. Right. No, absolutely, absolutely. They don't – in a group like that and they know each other, uh, it's comes like the group self-disciplines. And uh, let me run down the Delmar Protocol so we have them in detail. Uh, Admitted to the facility will be strictly limited to essential personnel, daily onsite check-ins for all staff, includes temperature checks and medical surveys. I'm not a big fan of this. I did a study with uh, the former mayor uh, about the homeless situation. And my wife's a psychotherapist and she's good at assessing. That's who should assess. Self-assessments and temperature checks and medical surveys, that's uh, not valid. Uh, All personnel will be required to waste face coverings, right? Um, Some staff will be required to wear protective eyewear and gloves. It's a thousand people, I would say all of them should, and they could even get a big horse racing guy to donate them, right, for a thousand people. Uh, Some staff jockeys will receive COVID-19 testing I would disagree with that. I would say everybody should have testing and this should be like Major League Baseball where you test it twice a week and then you're quarantined, I would say for 14 to 21 days and you can only come back after two positive tests. In addition to face masks, jockeys and pony rides were required to wear gloves. Yes. Social distancing required, common sense. No mask gatherings, especially with the second wave here or the first wave. Uh, increase obviously no mascot no congregation right that makes sense. Saddling area and starting gate will be disinfected after each race. That would be common sense. Additional hand washing and sanitizer stations throughout the facility, which is good, right? You got a thousand people. Enhanced janitorial services, including daily disinfected in all common areas. On-site medical personnel, which you mentioned, which is huge, and then quarantine area procedures so studying recessions which we talked about uh off you know earlier in the podcast a recession never is one factor that causes it's a series of factors and as far as horse racing is concerned you may you mentioned the major crisis as far as horse racing deaths and then uh just a consortium of people, right, who are 55, retired, they have a lot of money, and they become uh, animal advocates, right? So they have a lot of time on their hands, they have a lot of money, so they put pressure in in these types of situations. So COVID-19 by itself wouldn't kill horse racing. Uh, I don't think the the death scandal on horses that's killed it yet, but both together running unfeathered might, right? So that's it. Two yeah, two things. Uh, the track in Del Mar, is it a dirt track or is it one of those poly tracks? And it, does that affect at all the, the getting the animal a- activists off the backs of uh, Del Mar and horse racing fans?
1: Yeah, now last year, I believe it was last year, if not two years ago, I believe they did try using some composite mixed in with the dirt, hoping that that would help alleviate some of the issues with the horses, and it didn't quite work out 100%, and I'm not sure what they have done this year with the track. Uh, I know they have one of the top crews that you could find in the horse racing game, as you can imagine. Uh, We'll get into the Breeders' Cup a little bit today but you don't have you don't have a group like the Breeders' Cup selecting your track to host Breeders' Cup challenge races unless you have the high echelon people operating it and high echelon grounds crew if you will.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So that's taken care of. So so to speak, we're gonna be off to the races. So when you think of Del Mar, uh, supposed to start on Friday. Uh, I know Santa Anita closed down. So you, I, it, two, two part question. It, that mean that a lot of the horse racing field is gonna be fresh to take the drive from Santa Anita to Del Mar. And what were the horses that were on your radar that you were looking forward to see run at Del Mar starting Friday?
1: now Friday unfortunately they don't have the program listed yet on who's going to be running on opening day and as far as actual horses I don't have a good I don't have a breakdown of that for this podcast what I do have is some information on the trainers and riders who had great success during the 2020 season of Santa Anita now keep in mind uh, Santa Anita was cut short because of COVID as we all know and uh, another way that COVID has affected the game itself and Del Mar itself. On June 24th, it was stated that San Anita was going to be open for simulcast racing, meaning the off-track betting, off-track betting, and things like that. And then on July 1st, the governor's office for California closed down San Anita simulcast racing indefinitely. So that's not going to be available. I don't know how that's going to affect the other off-track betting sites, but I will tell you 90 percent of Del Mar's wagering does not come from the track itself, it comes from off-track betting sources. That would be the three dozen or so in the state of California, anybody who has legal off-track, off-track track betting, excuse me, across the nation, plus now all the online sites that you are familiar with, Josh.
0: Right, your Bovada's, you can go on the website, get a link to Bovada and my bookie right. AG, and my bookie uh, AG. I think we're gonna have an announcement soon about them possibly. Uh, yeah. But what's gonna happen is- And dollars and cents wide, so, so
1: keep in mind too. Yeah. They have removed, they've removed the fans from the stand. So already, here's what Del Mar is faced with that they have to make up they're going to lose about 17 million dollars just because people are not going to be allowed to participate actively in the stands because and so there will be no ticket sales no parking revenue no concession revenue they won't have extra people rolling in right after work or catching those last two or three races on a friday when they do their post-race concert series that has become very popular over the last few years. There were people that went to the racetrack just to watch the concerts. They rolled in, like I say, the casual better, uh, the trendy guys who roll in, catch the last couple races, have some cocktails to watch a concert. All that's been canceled. So that equates to roughly $17 million that they are not going to have in revenue this year. That's a lot of money and again, 90% from off-track for wagering, but how is that gonna be affected by COVID? Because depending on where the spikes are and where your off-track betting outlets are, if they start getting shut down, that's gonna be less wagering. What's a fact? If you wanna get factual about it, in 2019, all source wagering for Santa Anita rolled in at 954 million 257,000. In 2020, 2020, it rolled in at 787,808,000, which is down 17.5%, or they were down $166.5 million. Wow. That's how big off track betting is and online betting, and that's the impact it had on Santa Anita. So if hopefully we with the spikes in California and industries being shut down, they aren't allowing people into the stands, so there shouldn't be too big of an impact. But if the state of California decided to shut everything down, full we'll shutdown like they did back in March, that's just going to be a greater impact on the Del Mar thoroughbred club. Now, what it, are your thoughts it, 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 on it, it, that? Stuff? Yeah,
0: who cool. uh, and what research because uh, now that. Got the wheel spinning my head around. I'm writing down um, some serious questions that we'll investigate uh, for next week's podcast. And and based on what you just said, uh, the horse racing lobby, the Newsom, and how close they are, are going to be very important. Because let's say when Florida shut down, the relationship that McMahon had with DeSantis, the governor, right? Pro wrestling was uh, labeled an essential uh service yeah right (laughs) getting inside uh newsom's head all right uh gavin newsom is a foster kid and one of his foster moms he's very close to says that she saves his life and he made um florist an essential service during mother's day (laughs) Right? So it's the golden rule. He that has the gold makes the rules, right? And uh, the Wasserman family and the Getty family that fund Gavin Newsom's campaigns, right? They make the rules. So it's gonna be interesting, uh, the relationships, right? Sometimes business comes down to relationships. The relationship the horse racing model that Delmar people have with Gavin Newsom. Did they contribute to his campaign? And he, he might say, hey, horse racing is essential. Uh, these people at the track are behaving well. Uh, this is not necessarily close to Imperial Valley. And that's the other thing, how many of these thousand people that work at Del Mar are from Imperial Valley, right? If I was cruel, I would eliminate all, of, I'm sorry, you guys can come back next year, all the Imperial Valley people that work, they're part of the thousand that work on the Del Mar group. But it's gonna be interesting, the relationship they have. And if uh, San Diego, because del mar it's almost like mid county right mid county San Diego, if there is a shutdown, will they level Del Mar an essential service because there's going to be a lot of money bet online legally because uh horse racing has an exemption, and this is going to drive uh, uh Greg Wolf, which warms my heart he has a uh, he's less cynical and still has faith in regulations and society than I don't at this point in time but uh, horse racing because they paid off federal and state politicians is exempt from the wire act that's why horse racing you can bet on across state lines uh, technically sports betting you can't because sports betting was exempted from the wire act because horse racing um, has been deemed by regulators as a game of skill not all luck right so and this is legally i'm not talking about practical or um, or strategy at all i'm just uh reporting how the law works in the wire act and in impossible incentives and benefits that gavin Newsom has to say that del mar is an essential service uh, moving forward and, right. be and
1: it's not just Del Mar, Josh, you, you, you've got the, the California Racing Authority, you've right. got different groups out there. Think about, uh, look at them like the NFL owners. You have groups that make up the California Racing Authority, who are involved with those groups, who are the groups, and right. that might be, that might speak to your point of where are their political ties. And do they have any impact, influence at all?
0: At all. And then the other part of it is that uh, the group of activists that we're talking about, their power is lessened because uh, Gavin is icon because I met him once. Uh, Governor Newsom uh, is not up for re-election for a couple years. Right. And people aren't going to remember what's going on now couple years so he might let Delmar be open uh especially to if uh and that's the thing and I'll ask you because one of uh the gripes I hear about horse racing is that they're they the it's hard for them to adjust it's hard for them to uh Because it's, it's a race, it's a, it's a game of royalty, right? It's, it's the queen. The queen still owns... It is the sport of kings. It is known
1: as the sport of kings.
0: Right. Yeah. The queen of England still owns 60% of the thoroughbreds in Kentucky. Right. Uh, for a high number like that. So can the horse racing industry pivot? Like we were talking in the last podcast, like baseball is going to have to... I think accelerate what's going on where uh, racing fans are going to watch on TV and bet online. And go to that model where Gavin Newsom can say, hey, horse racing is a legal uh, stress release right now in the time of uh, where people's had the whole year's been stressful. Right. Right. I think it's
1: going to be fine. Yeah. Go ahead
0: can can they are they gonna pivot And it an, isn't an isn't even new because I, I know i remember going to Vegas and watching these guys they sit in front of the tv all day watching racetracks from all over the country placing bets.
1: oh so, absolutely i mean all the any of the casinos you go to now you know all the local casinos you go by the horse rooms in any of those and you will always see standing room only it's hard to get a chair uh, you go to the sports books, uh, you, I mean, granted, at the sports books in Vegas, you also have UFC, NBA, MLB, NFL, NCAA, but you will always find that bank of TVs. There's racing going on morning till night. Uh, off track betting, one of the good things about that, Belmont Stakes, located back in New York, when they finished their last race of the day, it's roughly two o'clock. 2.30 Pacific Coast time. Guess what happens, those serious horse players, they love it, they, they just go have dinner, go find the off-track facility or go home, pull up the online app, and they get to Bet Del Mar for another three hours.
0: Right. Right, so we're, we're some insight on the ground for those folks back East, as uh, half of our downloads are from, uh, you know, Foxwood areas, New Jersey, Belmont Stakes area, New York, Northern Virginia area, Uh, even Kentucky, we're getting some downloads from Kentucky. Uh, That's very interesting. So one of the beauties of the pandemic is that it's allowed us to take a step back, right? Uh, Be able to analyze things in the comfort of our own homes, right, and without stress and we can really get perspective on future events and and be able to track them. So coming into this year, where we're at now, uh, who are the hot horses, hot trainers going into the Breeders' Cup? Um, I know, and we'll talk probably more about it next week, but I know yesterday at Belmont Park, two of Bob Baffert's horses, were uh, tested positive for banned substances. So keeping that in mind, what horses and what trainers should we look for as, as we start thinking, um, processing how the Delmar season goes and going into the breeder uh, cup that's also gonna be at Del Mar?
1: Right, and horses I'm gonna get into on the next podcast because again, right now I have not been able to find a list of who's coming down from Santa Anita. I know, uh, just to share, I was up in the Rancho Santa Fe area over the weekend just driving through. Now, Rancho Santa Fe is just two or three miles east on the other side of the Highway 5. Very, very beautiful area. A lot of horse owners, a lot of horse tracks over there. A polo ground is over there. And as I was going along one of the back roads, I slowed down because I saw a cab of a semi-truck But we're not, we're talking high-end cab. This had such a sheen to it, pulling the solid chrome double trailers behind it with thoroughbreds. They had either just, that they had, I imagine, had just dropped off or were taking over to the racetrack. And it reminded me, as you alluded to, this isn't your average sport. This is what they refer to as the sport of kings. And and if you would allow me for just a second, um, the sport of kings, and along with baseball, basketball, motor racing, soccer, boxing, it's one of those internationally recognized sports. Everybody knows what horse racing is, and everybody can participate in it. Not everybody may like it, but everybody can participate. But across those big three sports, and that would be the basketball, the baseball, the, the soccer, you're not going to find the level of athlete like you have in horse racing. In basketball, you're going to have a port, point guard. That's going to be the small guy. In American football, you're going to have a running back and defensive back. That's going to be your small man on the team. You're going to have in, in baseball, it's going to be your shortstop is usually considered the smaller guy on the team. But with the exception of boxing or mixed martial arts, there's no other sport that has the top athlete walking out onto the field that measures four foot 10 inches to five foot three inches, 108 to 118 pounds. And they have these ridiculous BMI levels, no body fat. They have this uncanny sense of strength and power though, and unmatched peripheral vision. They don't wear shoulder pads, they don't swing bats, they don't make jump shots, they don't dive and make diving catches, but their workday consists of climbing on the back of a the thoroughbred. They line up four to 10 or more abreast. They take a death grip on these reins and they guide a thoroughbred around a track. Now, here's something you gotta keep in mind and keep put, try to put this into perspective if you're a listener. So you have a jockey who goes five foot tall, 110 pounds. The average thoroughbred is 16 hands high, or just about 64 inches at the shoulder. The jockey at 110 pounds gets on the thoroughbred. Average thoroughbred weight is 1,100 pounds, half a ton. And these guys climb on the back and just go balls out from start to finish, navigating. They need to know. How do you pull them back? How do you get them outside? If you got that horse that likes the rail, like the track athlete who likes to run on the inside lane, how do you get that horse there? How do you keep it there without penalizing yourself by bumping somebody, by getting thrown off or getting run into the rail? I will tell you, jockeys don't get enough credit for the caliber of athlete they are. And I think everybody needs to keep that in mind. The next time you're watching a horse, and a jockey go forty miles an hour for the course of a race josh what what, what is your outlook or your your opinion on jockey
0: I mean it, it's fascinating right uh, it, and man that was uh, thank you so much for it Jim that was very very uh, poetic uh, very very insightful and very uh, inspiring. Uh, to listen to you and your descriptions of uh of the jockey right and uh i'm gonna do a lot more research i mean a lot of what you said has sparked a lot of uh areas where you're where you don't where i'm like man i need to research this further and because you look at uh you know this podcast we're three-dimensional podcast right uh you look at the, the imagery, imagery uh, the emotion, right? Uh, jockeys are, are known to have, right? A very colorful life off the track. And for <laughs> actual guys like myself, you always notice that in the few minutes they have before and after a race now that they interview them, right? and uh, some of them give too much information. So if, when you look at the totality of it, you know, and jockeys and simplify this, and this is an American thing, that even in communist socialist countries, the head of the communist party in the local area very rarely uh, engages the, the people on the lower end of the communist party, or even people on the lower end that aren't part of the communist party, they live in the country. There's no association. And uh, let's say capitalist uh, democratic uh, countries uh, for the most part, especially in Southern California, uh, in New York, you can't get away with it. Uh, You know, rich people need to hail a cab. They have to walk a block sometimes to go where their car is. There's engagement with uh, middle-class and poor people. But in horse racing, the owner does have to engage with the person who's handling the horse, right? And when you mentioned uh, uh, Rancho Santa Fe, I remember being nine years old, 1980, where you go to Rancho Santa uh, Santa Fe and Gene Klein was very outgoing. Oh, yeah. He will let you see his thoroughbreds. And he ended up being the uh, owner of the San Diego Chargers. You know, and, and when you start thinking jockeys, you think of the Gene Kleins of the world who were characters, who were people, people you know? And even though he, he, he might have not have been the nicest guy in the world, the culture in life was very different. And I guess it's a long time ago, 40 years ago. Where a guy like Gene Klein would let you see his horses and talk about the horses. Right. And you're just a nobody just roaming around Rancho Santa Fe, you know, beautiful area. And there's horses everywhere, you know?
1: Right. Yeah. So as you can tell, I hold jockeys in, in high regard. And I think part of that is uh, Josh, I'm the same size now as I was in eighth grade and all that means is I never got big enough to be a pro football or baseball player. And I was too right. big to be a jockey. So hey, you know I, but I gravitate towards these guys because again, it has always fascinated me for their stature to do what they do now, why is that important because I will tell you what these let, let me show you what give you an idea about their uh, their work ethic uh, for Santa Anita, the two guys that I will tell you about are the top two finishers for the 2020 winter and spring session at Santa Anita reduce programs in 2020, they had 60 programs. That means 60 days of racing, 527 total races. Slavian Pratt, who was the top winner for the session, rode 339 mounts. Mm. So he did 339 out of those 527 races, and here's the fascinating fact. He won 90 times. Wow. He placed... 60 times, he showed his horse 56 times. He had 27% winning percentage. He was in the money, win, place, or show 64% of the time. So who's one of the jockeys you're gonna watch when opening day hits on Friday? You're gonna look for Flavian Pratt, but 90 wins out of 339 mounts, that is phenomenal.
0: It's amazing. It's amazing, and we'll close. Four with
1: point. This. He was responsible. He he brought home four point six million to the owner. Wow. Uh,
0: we'll close with this, right? Uh, and and very much like your opinion. And this is just watching. Let's say uh, the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup last. 20 years, because I'm just a casual uh, horse racing guy, but now I'm very interested. I have been for a while, and I'm using this as a, an excuse to really kind of really get into it and study it, because it is fascinating, horse racing. Uh, it always gave me the impression that the jockeys never uh, get as much credit for winning that uh, sometimes the owners... And sometimes uh, the trainers, they get a lot of credit. And I hear them say, well, I told the jockey to do this, this, and that, blah, blah, blah. And then you hear the jockey say, well, I did this and this and this, but I saw this and I did that. Uh, What's your take on that? Because my take is, jockey's on the low man on the totem pole, and he's getting screwed of credit he probably should get. Am I right? or?
1: I think as the as the journey as you're coming up, of course that's the case, but I think you know, you look at a Flavian Pratt, you look at an Abel Cedillo, who's the other jockey I'm gonna talk give you the stats on for the, the 2020 season. And then of course, he finished mid-range as far as uh as far as how many mounts and things like that, even on the low end. But I'm gonna talk about Mike Smith, who is definitely a Hall of Fame jockey, and and I will tell you, once you get to the status of these guys, oh, they're very well-recognized. They're very well-recognized, very well-appreciated. Respected, right? They, definite, they definitely earn it, and the owners know. to uh, yeah. deal came in second at Santa Anita. Now, Flavian Pratt, 339 mounts out of the 527 races. Cedillo, 419 mounts out of 427 races. Mm. That is phenomenal. That is, that is 80 more than what Flavian did. And even with 80 more, guess what he did? 61 wins, 65 places, 59 shows, in the money 185 times, 44% of the time that guy gets on the back of a horse. He's going to make you money somewhere. Keep this in mind. And I'm not speaking new to anybody who has followed the game. I'm reminding people, and if you are new to the horse racing game, keep in mind, it's yeah. not about putting your $5 on a horse to win. You can make a lot of money on show bets because you can bet three different horses 100 bucks a pop, and if they finish one, two, three, guess what? You didn't lose anything. Got You're going to collect on every one of those bets. But 44% winning, Abel Cedillo, $3.77 million he won. Wow. Mike Smith, again, I got to get into Mike Smith because I've just, I've followed his career. Uh, As far as I'm concerned, he's right up there with some of California and horse racing's best. I'm old enough and fortunate enough to have seen Shoemaker on the back of a horse, Chris McCarron, Lafitte Pinkai Jr. Mike Smith is right up there in my book, my personal book. Now, Mike didn't ride that many horses during the Santa Anita program, but he did ride 113 mounts. But all, what did he do with those 113? Well, he won 27 times, placed 16, showed 16, was in the money 52% of the time, 59 times total, and for his, his success, he brought in $2.5 million to the, to the owners. No slouch. And so so what am I getting at there? Uh going back to your point, Josh, about jockey recognition. Sometimes you just call the cleaner or the closer. Right. Think of him as the the Trevor Hoffman almost, if you will. Hey, right. we got a feature race, we got a feature race, big stakes. Uh Baffert looks around and uh you know Mike Smith is sitting in the in the back area with you know looking around the phone rings and he says we need you today and he puts his work clothes on and he does his thing crosses the finish line that's what they hire him to do and he does it well and he's done it well for many many years a lot of respect to mike
0: you know and was very interesting as as a, a spectator right i remember you know sitting back at the restaurant and just looking at people and i've noticed and we'll close with this and i've noticed several times a jockey at the end of a Breeders' Cup race, uh, you know, Triple Crown race, point to their head and say, oh, when they're talking about a move they made during the race. And it's the, the whole, that real intelligence is situational intelligence. <laughs> so am I right? The owner's giving him strategy. Bob Baffert's giving him strategy. And he makes that one move out of experience, especially of Mike Smith, So has been raining forever out of pattern recognition that we talk about using embedding and their instinct and they made one move that neither backward or the owner told them <laughs> and they end up winning the race right and that's why you're well, well think of it this
1: way is- you using yeah. using football as the example uh and i won't use brady and i won't and mahomes you could but he's kind of young but you think about the old brett Favre and some of the stuff he'd pull out so imagine uh they're down to the wire. Okay, it's our last drive. Right. We win it or we lose it on this. And the guy in the booth calls down to the coach. The coach tells Favre. Far says, "Okay, that's what we'll call." They line up. They know they're they're going to execute right. until the snap gets botched. Right. And so he has to spend 1,001, 1,002 scrambling to get his hands on the ball. Now by that time, the patterns are blown. The offensive line's looking around going, holy shit, we can't help him. How long are we supposed to hold these guys? Farb is running around like a madman, right. but stops, plants. Right. The receivers have adjusted their patterns. One, the tight end gets open. Favre right. sees them and closes his eyes and covers them with his hand and flings the ball. Touchdown. Right. That wasn't drawn that way. That was just instinct, and that's what the jockeys do. Fascinating. So
0: that is so fascinating. So interesting. Um, yeah. yeah.
1: So so, and, and, and then again, what's the other component to the racetrack? So those are your jockeys. Mike Smith, so my theory is look at the amount of the race or the feature race that Mike Smith is in. The bigger the purse, the odds are he is finishing in the money. Levy and Pratt, Abel Cedillo, they're just good at what they do. They're at the top of the game. So watch them on every horse they, they're going to be with. Also, look at the trainers that are having them ride their horses. So for Santa Anita, who did we have this year? Peter Miller. Peter Miller had 134 horses this year. 35 of his horses won, 19 plays, 13 showed In the money, 50% of the races Look for Peter Miller Horses, John Sadler. Oh, and Peter Miller's winning, $1.8 million. Wow. John Sadler was in the money 50% of the time, $1.7 million. And another personal favorite, I'd like to say I've met the guy, but I haven't, but Doug O'Neill, 40% in the money, $1.29 million. But for, for those numbers, let's go again. And you mentioned his name earlier. Who was the guy at Santa Anita? 129 starts, in the money 64% of the time. Wow. He had, and that means he was in the money 83 times, with 23 shows, 27 places, 33 wins, brought in $2.8 million, Bob Baffert. Wow. Now, when you talk Bob Baffert, what does that mean to some people who follow other sports? Uh, How about Angelo Dundee when you think about boxing and the great Muhammad Ali, the great Sugar Ray Leonard, guys like that. You think of Angelo Dundee. You think of today, uh, Freddie Roach. The great trainers. These are great trainers, guys that know how to get the most out of of their fighter. These guys know how to get them, how to work with their jockey, who know how to make the horse, get the most out of the horse. But it is a combined thing. The trainer and the jockey do work together because the, the trainer can tell you if it's a good horse, but he depends on the walker, he depends on the jockey to come back and say, I felt this, I felt that, maybe we should try this, maybe they should try that. They, there is a strategy and they do strategize. But Bob Baffert, again, just like I spoke so highly of Mike Smith, uh, Baffert is just the man. No two ways about it.
0: No, no, it's fascinating. And um, if you're a people person, uh, this sport is fascinating because uh, you can follow uh, the owners who are characters. You can follow the trainers and the jockeys and some of the horse handlers and uh, on down the line. uh, Right. In the business part, and I
1: know we wanted to touch, we wanted to touch lightly on the Breeders' Cup, and uh, you know it does go in line with Del Mar. The, the Breeders' Cup, for those who aren't real familiar with it, it has become the premier horse racing event of the of each year. It usually takes, it does take place in November. It's a two day event. There are Grade One races that take place throughout the year. You're going to have the best of the thoroughbreds and it is global. From Tokyo to the United States, you will have races that are held, again, grade one races, and there are Breeders' Cup Challenge races, and think of it like the NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament. If you win a Breeders' Cup Challenge race, you are automatically in to the big two-day event in November. So, for Del Mar, they now feature, they have five Breeders' Cup challenge races throughout the season. This year, as long as COVID doesn't get in the way, they are all in August. With the Bing Crosby stakes, the Clement L. Hirsch stakes, those are both $250,000 purses. You've got the Pat O'Brien stakes at the end of the month. Right before that, the Del Mar handicap, 150 and 200,000 respectively, and the big race, is the TCG Pacific Classic on August 22nd, mile and a quarter, $500,000. That's good horse racing. And there's money to be made on those races. Again, look at the trainers, look at who's coming in. Uh, It's going to be fascinating to watch.
0: It is going to be fascinating to watch. And the more I ponder on your words, I'm thinking, and hey, if it comes to that Raider Jim, we'll help him out. I think that by the time the, uh, the, the Breeders' Cup comes, uh, I think they're going to have the technology down and the branding, because I, I was just looking at Doug O'Neill's branding. Uh, they're going to have the branding down uh, to have a lot of fun during uh, the Breeders' Cup, having people bet from home, right? 100% legal, read the wire act, people. legal for you to place bets online on horse racing, Bovada, whatever. Legal, the Wire Act. And have the branding down. I think uh, the therapeutics and the treatments for COVID-19 will be uh, in play. You're going to have herd immunity. I almost feel like contacting these people and dropping some knowledge and get everybody to have a good time. Betting on horses, watching it. Uh, from their comfort of their own homes. Uh, but yeah, by adding those uh, elements together and the trial run hopefully here at Del Mar, uh, by that time, uh, we'll have some herd immunity. So herd immunity, therapeutics, uh, uh, therapeutics, herd immunities, and treatments, right? By November, uh, to have Because you got to figure that all the people that work the tracks have already been tested, either had it or not. And if they did have it, then they they have um, hopefully some sort of immunity. Because that's a question mark. Can you get it twice? Uh, So the answer is hopefully not. But even if you did get it twice, you know the protocols. You know to wear a mask. You know to stay six feet away from people. And you have a track record of those who can't do it. So maybe we x them out and have a good time in the Breeders' Cup. What do you think, Raider Jim?
1: Oh, I think absolutely. And, again, as you said, by the time we get down to actual uh, talking about the final fields for the Breeders' Cup, we will hopefully have shared plenty of knowledge. Again, this was just a tease, uh, kind of like that early morning work out they give the horses, warm them up a little bit, you know, right. get some of it out of their system. That's what this was for you and I. I share a little bit of information with the listeners next week. And as we go on into the Del Mar season, we will have more information about the different horses and the fields. I will also do my best to get Josh some information that he can put online for feature races and those horses in that, in that respective race the coming week we're going to see if we can get our friend Tim Conway Jr. to impart some of his knowledge and uh, give us some tips on some of those races.
0: Absolutely. Now
1: and and then real quick yeah before before we wrap it up I did want to say I don't want to go without ignoring the fact that COVID also for the first time in so many years just screwed up the whole agenda for the Triple Crown. The Kentucky Derby is going to run in September uh, it wasn't the kickoff to the triple crown. This year It was uh, the Belmont and the Belmont was won hands down by a horse called tis the law. And let me tell you, that was one of those frightening horses, the way it came out of the gate, the way it controlled the race and no other horse had a chance, kind of like when you would used to watch uh, Usain Bolt in his prime. It was that type of a performance that said, if you want to do a little research on East Coast racing, the guy who trains Tis the Law, gentleman well-known and right up there in the caliber with uh, Bob Baffert, his name is Barclay Tag, and Barclay Tagg has under his belt over 1,500 wins in his career. Wow. So pay attention to Tis the Law because when the second leg comes around, uh, again, Odds are bad, but if you've got the bankroll to do it, some money across the board on that horse is definitely going to pay you some bankroll.
0: Nice, nice, and that's what I wanted to hear, man. That's totally awesome. All right. Uh, the wheels are spinning for next week's podcast. Very excited. Yeah, already. As as people can across the country and even in Southern California can listen to us watch the stream online and dream, right? And uh, uh, ponder on the vivid imagery that uh, Raider Jim um, relate to us. And uh, we've had a lot of uh, user engagement online. Uh, Craig Mizrak wanted to know if there's gonna be any fans at Del Mar. And we answered no, we answered that. So Craig. If he knows anything about horse racing, welcome to come on <laughs> podcast. We're the merrier, I'm sure you have some.
1: People. To any of our listeners, Josh, I know we would say this periodically through the NFL season, but yeah. for anybody who's listening to the podcast, anybody whose interest we've in peaked, if you would like to ask a question, reach out to Josh. Josh will answer the question, or if you want to make it directly to me, Josh will get me the question and we'll do our best to answer it. Even if I've got to do the research on it, we'll be sure to get back to you. And, again, as we started out each and every podcast, and we will always do so, we don't want your email address. We're not going to try to sell you a subscription. I am not – we do not – we are never going to charge you for anything. We are the most affordable habit in America.
0: It's 100%. 100 And uh, the number you can reach us at is – 858-863-6501. 858-863-6501. You can direct message us at Twitter. And I am sure uh, with the response and uh, uh, the vibe we got from Tim Conway Jr., he'll, he's more than happy to answer uh, horse racing questions, you know, a hundred percent. And, uh, we're lucky, fortunate, and good that we have good daytime jobs. And we got other things going on that we do not need your money. And we're always uh, fortunate, and looking good during uh, NBA. So, NBA is coming up. We're going to give you free NBA uh, picks. We're going to give you free baseball picks. Uh, we are going to every Friday. We're previewing every major college football uh, conference. And uh, throughout the year, I encourage everybody to listen to the Faith Family Football Podcast with Ben Ratslap from Houston Baptist Football. As we give you insights into the air raid, his offensive coordinator, is best friends with uh, Clingsbury, who's the head coach of Arizona. He has DeAndre Hopkins, who we talked to earlier about in the podcast. Uh, You got Brandon first, we have a whole page dedicated to Major League Baseball previews. So you can educate yourself on all the Major League Baseball teams. On the weekend, he comes with a San Diego Padre Major League Baseball (laughs) report. And then uh, COVID-19 has brought us to our face. Uh, What happens with local political corruption? And uh, I have a first aid mental health kit that I come through on the weekends. So we got you covered with all the information you need to make me watching sports and to do your basic uh, civic duties. Because we're not a political podcast. We just do the basics that we need uh, to know just to be responsible uh, citizens. Any closing words, uh, Raider Jim? Very exciting.
1: Well, I think one more, yeah, one more thing that I would just add uh, tongue in cheek, and that is the other reason that we don't charge for our advice is because that way, when we throw a dog your way, we're going to look at you and say, what'd you expect for free? <laughs>
0: <Right>. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and that's the key number. You got, it's 52.5. Right. We're 70 to 80% on them. Now, if we were more than that, we would be degenerate gamblers who would be unhealthily uh, from a mental health standpoint. So it's not 100%. <laughs> if we were close to 90% or 100%, I would say, hey, Raider Joe, what's going on here? You're, <laughs> you're making too many winners there. Are <laughs> you neglecting your family. <laughs> you just sitting right. there with racing force 24-7 and calling trainers and calling people, you know? And, and that's not healthy, right? Uh, like John Wooden said, the most important word in the English dictionary is balance and this time when it hurt, it's very important to be balanced you know? so hey i agree if somebody does not want to wear a mask don't wear a mask man right? it's your first amendment right but my balance is i wear a mask and i stay six feet away from people
1: there we are All right, so we close. Josh, I'm about wrapped up. I think I covered everything I wanted to cover for our right out of the gate podcast on horse racing.
0: Yeah, and we're going to give Winston Churchill, who got us through World War II. And again, since we we do not charge anything, we give you actionable information so you can make money. Uh, And we're not just walking the walk we're talking the talk. You make a living from your labor. But you make a life and you have fun sometimes from what you give. Thank you for listening to the ESBC Betting Financial Podcast Network.
1: Have a great day. Thanks, everybody. Really, if you need
0: anything from us, let us know.
1: Have a good rest of the week, everybody.
0: If you haven't heard of Anchor, it is free. It's a podcast that I use, and they really do a good job for us here at the GFSN Betting and Team Report podcast. It helps us make 70 to 80% of your bets. Now, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get
1: started, my brothers the best there is.